Awesome, awesome. Thank you so much. My goodness. How, how many of you guys just went through like the Amazon rainforest to get here this morning? Yeah, thank you guys, man, for being devoted to church, devoted to us, devoted to community. Thank you guys. This is awesome. This is awesome. If this is your first time or you've just been here for the last couple of weeks, we're in the middle of a series called Devoted where we're looking at Acts 2 and we're looking at the early church and we're trying to figure out, man, what was the early church devoted to? What were they trying to do? And maybe, just maybe, what would our life, what would our church look like if we began to follow the footsteps of the early disciples and the apostles? Week one, we talked about they were devoted to worship, to praising God and singing, and y'all were just doing it, just singing, four songs going after it. We, we talked about how the apostles were devoted to the Holy Spirit. They actually let the Holy Spirit like, lead their lives. It was, it was a wild a deal. And then last week, Stephen talked about that the apostles were actually devoted to prayer. That the apostles had set prayers they prayed and set times they prayed. Anybody set their alarm to, to 2.42 today and get some weird alarms, you know, throughout their day? Awesome. Yeah. It interrupted maybe your day and your life. But the, but the apostles, man, they, they were so devoted to it that they actually set times and prayers to do it. And this morning, we're going to talk about how the apostles were actually devoted to the apostles' teaching, the Bible. Y'all aren't excited. That should excite you. Because the early disciples, the church was built on these people, these early believers walking around and going, man, I want to be devoted to this. And in Acts 2, 42, we, we find kind of the, the passage uh, of the other church and what they look like. And it says this, it says, and they, the disciples and the other church, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. That's the first thing that they devoted themselves to, by the way. And fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done throughout the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing their proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, night church, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day, those who were being saved. Don't we want to be a church like this? Like, don't we want to be a people like this? Don't we want to live our life in such a way that all is just being captivated by everybody around us? That, that generosity is not a thing that we ask each other to do, but that's just generosity is just a way we live our lives. And this early church, man, they were sold out. They were devoted. Now, I don't know if you know most, much about my life, but I have three kids, an amazing wife, and a 92-year-old grandma living in our home right now. Um, hey, join us on Facebook and watch the show unfold. It's crazy. Uh, we have three kids. Uh, we had three kids, three and under. That was on purpose. All right, so don't, don't judge us. Beautiful picture of my family minus grandma right, right there, but, but that's our family. Um, and if, if you know anything about being a father or mother or even growing up, like you know your life dramatically changes when you have a kid. Before kid, just all about yourself, right? You just got to worry about keeping you alive, maybe your spouse alive, and maybe some of your good friends alive. Like there's not a whole lot to it, but when you have kids, your whole, your whole mission is to keep these kids alive. Do you, do you remember when you had your first kid? Like you go to the hospital, everything's just chaotic and stressful. Then the, my, my little Riley was born. I, I didn't know what to do. I felt like the nurses did everything for the first couple of days. And then they wheel Ashley and Riley out to the car. I feel like a man, a husband. I pull out, I mean, I pull my car around with like a couple missing hubcaps and I, I like roll in and I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm a daddy. And then I'm looking at the nurse and like, can you put, can you put it in the car seat? I mean, I called my daughter an it. 
right? Like that's just like, uh, can you come with us? Like how, are you off? Are you off? Can we wait till seven? Like what's going on? And, and, and we, we, we put, you know, Riley in the car seat and we're like, uh, I think this is how it works. And, and we drive home, then we get home and we got to figure out, you know, how many poops and peas your baby makes because you got to take that calendar of the poops and the peas. And if they poop too little, or they poop too much. I, I, I don't even know what happens, but you got to write it all down and you don't show anybody because nobody ever asks for it. But, but you got to keep your baby alive. And then, then your baby starts crawling and you're like, well, you got to baby proof everything. Because your baby will get into things. You gotta watch with the toys you buy, because if they're too small, they're gonna grab it and they're gonna choke on it. You gotta wait six months to give them, them, them like foods, right? Because like, then they'll choke and then they might die. I, I, I mean, it's just this craziness. And the dream of your like perfect, you know, little place for your baby to sleep, the crib, ah, right? You get the bumper, the pillows, the stuffed animals, and then you read articles on, on, on Google and they're like, take all those out. Like, take the crib out now, I think. I think you just put the baby on the floor in the nursery, no furniture, and shut the door. Like, because the babies will choke. The, the, the baby will get into things. Have you, tried, have you tried bathing a baby? They're slippery. You know, some of us, you know, you helicopter parents, you can buy like the two or $300 bathtub to strap them in, you know, and it's like, have fun. And you're like, I can't even play with the ducky. And like, it's just, you're so worried about drowning and keeping your kid alive. And then there's the pool. <laughs> they get old enough to where they're walking and you're excited, you put, the, you put the, like the, the, the whatever you put on them and put them in the car seat that you still haven't installed correctly and you get to the pool <laughs> and you're like, hey, Riley, you're, you're, you're too close. And she's like, yeah, I'm in the parking lot, dad. And I'm like, no, but still, like you could, you could, you know what happens if you get into the pool, even with your, like it's just, it's just chaos. And so Ashley and I, we took a CPR class when we first had Riley because of all the horror stories we read and we heard. And we took the CPR class and shout out to George Templeton back in San Antonio, Texas. How are you doing? You, you taught me how to keep my kid alive for now. And so like I'm, I'm here and I'm in this class and he's teaching us all. You can't give babies full chest compressions like you would an adult. Just wouldn't end well. Y'all laughed. <laughs> can't do that. You got the two finger swipe method. If they choke on food, you can use gravity to help like the food and like beat the kid. Like uh, you just, you just, you just make it, make it happen. But I remember George looking at me one day and goes, Hey Ryan, I, I just got to be honest with you. He looked at everybody and goes, everybody look at me. I, I've got to be honest with you. Your water is not going to kill your baby. A piece of food's not going to kill your baby. You, 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 you're not, you know, having a bumper in, in, in the crib is not going to kill your baby. What, what will kill your baby is if they stop breathing. And he goes, he goes, look at me. He goes, Ryan, you've got to understand the significance of this next statement I'm about to make. That, that the reality, Ryan, that you as the father, you, you may be the only hope to bring your kid back to life. That your breath, the breath of the kid's father may be the only thing that can bring that kid back to life. Hey, church, I, I know we're a room full of adults, not kids. But what are you drowning in right now? You, you're, you're in it and... Maybe you jumped into this conversation on social media a little, little too quick. Maybe you're doing some things at work that, man, they weren't shady, but now they're becoming shady. You and your husband and you and your wife, you're, you're trying to have these, these conversations, but it's just not getting anywhere, and you feel like you're drowning. Jesus tells us, this scripture tells us something pretty, pretty remarkable throughout scripture that the Bible is actually the breath of God. 
that, that the words in the Bible, they're actually the breath of God. And when we see it in 2 Timothy 3, 16, Paul's talking to Timothy, his, his, his disciple, his mentee, and he's reminding, reminding Timothy of, of, of the amazing significance of the Bible. And, and Paul says this, he says, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for, for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. In the Greek, this, this, script, this, this word for God breathed is, is theopneustos. It's, it's this word that, that Paul somehow creates. It's not in uh, vocabulary before he uses it, and he pens this, this word of God breathed. And before we really jump into the significance of God breathing life and throughout all scripture, I think there's two big hurdles that we all face when we start talking about the Bible. Number one, man, this is just, this is just a lot. I mean, this, this is a big book with small print. There's, there's, it's not just one book, it's actually 66 books. When's the last time you read just one book? And this is the significance and, and, and the depth of the Bible. You're going, man, I don't even know if I want to start it. And where do I start? Do I just shake it up and bring it out, the scripture, and that's the one for me? But I think most of us would actually, actually give, give this Bible a shot. Uh, I think it's the second reason that we get hung up on. That it's just confusing. And that you and I, we, we begin to read it and we don't understand it. You've been there, right? Where you begin to read the Bible and then the words just kind of flow together and you're just kind of shaking your head going, I, I don't, should I stop now? And you're reading the stories of the Bible and you're flipping page to page and maybe you even did it day by day and you look back later that, that, that day and you're like, I don't, I don't even know what I read. And so you and I, we begin to kind of give up on these pages because it's confusing and then we don't really see this direct result of us reading and our life getting better. But Paul is telling Timothy, hey, hey, pause, like uh, real quick, this scripture is great. This scripture is profitable. This is good for you. This scripture is, 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 is gonna, gonna, gonna give you some feedback that maybe you don't want to hear. It's gonna correct you. And this is gonna train you. But before he says all those things, did you catch what he said? He goes, all scripture, every page, every verse, every story, is breathed out by God. Everything. God didn't just grab some messengers and tell them what to write and they put it in the Bible. He didn't just secretly, you know, tell them, but, but, but God spoke out these words. I mean, can you, can you talk without breathing? I mean, you can try it for a second, but then you, you have to come up for air at some point. And like, there's a lot of words in here. I feel like God would have to come up for air a lot of times. And so God began to speak out these words and he began to breathe out these words. And Paul was, was, was begging Timothy and kind of teaching Timothy, like, hey, I, I want to let you know, before it can teach you, before it can correct you, I want you to know that these words in the Bible are actually the breath of God. The breath of God may actually bring you back to life. The Old Testament, we see a story of, of dead things coming to life through the breath of God. We catch it in Ezekiel chapter 37. It's this wild story of Ezekiel 
hanging out at a cemetery, it seems, just around a bunch of dry bones and flesh, wild scene. And God speaks to him, it speaks to, to Ezekiel and says, begin to preach, begin to prophesy to these dry bones. I mean, could you imagine maybe your first time on stage, your first time preaching the sermon at a cemetery with nobody around? God goes, preach to all these dead people. And Ezekiel begins to preach. And these bones, the story tells us these bones begin to kind of fly up from all corners of the cemetery and the bones begin to attach and skin begins to attach. And all of a sudden, like he begins to preach to a bunch of human beings, but they're not breathing. And we catch up the story in Ezekiel chapter 37, verse nine. Then he, God, God said to Ezekiel, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain, these dead people that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived, and they stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. Do you see what happened here? It wasn't that Ezekiel was a great preacher. What filled the lungs of these, this vast army was, was actually the word of God. It, it was God's word that Ezekiel began to speak. And as Ezekiel began to speak the word of God, the breath of God entered into these people. And the scripture says that, that before there, there was these, these people that were dead, but standing there looking at Ezekiel. And it wasn't until the breath of God entered into their lungs that they became alive. And it says in verse 11, it says, and then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Like these, these are my people. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. Do you feel like your hope is lost today? Do you feel like your life is dried up? Do you feel like your relationships are withering away? It says, we are indeed cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord God, these are the words of God. Behold, I will open up your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. And they're like, we're already out of the graves. <laughs> yeah, it's cool, but like I'm already, am I going back? Because I'm already out of the graves right now. It says, O my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel. And you shall know that I'm the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves. Has God opened up a grave in your life? Has God rescued you from death before? And at that point, God's going, and, and then you'll know. And then you'll know that I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm your God. He goes, oh, my people, and I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live. And I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I'm the Lord. I have spoken, and I will do it, declares the Lord. And it feels like God's getting a little cocky at the end. Like, I'm going to do it. I did it. It was my breath. It was my words. I'm going to take you from this place of, of, of death. I'm going to take you from this, this severed relationship. I'm going to take you from this, this dead-end job that you have nowhere to go, and I'm going to redirect you. I'm going to give you life and new hope and a new vision, and you're going to be able to turn your ways, and you're going to be able to look back at God and go, ha, ha, God, you did it, because only God can do it. Because you and I, we, we were dead. Do you realize that, that God created Adam the same way. In Genesis chapter two, verse seven, it says, and then the Lord God formed the man of the dust from the ground and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. Could you imagine the scene? 
God creates everything. Adam's next. He creates Adam with flesh, with bones, with face. He's all there. He's ready to rock and to roll. And then God, he breathes into Adam's nostrils. And Adam becomes alive. Many scholars believe that when Paul is talking to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.16, the word he makes up for, for the breath of God or breathing out the breath of God is referring back to Genesis chapter 2. Paul was trying to understand and, and trying to get Timothy to, and us to understand that, that, that the same way that God breathed life into Adam is the same way he brings life to the word of God. So if you're feeling dead, if you're feeling like, you're all flesh and bones, but no life. Allow Jesus to bring you back to life. Amen. And the only way that, that you and I are able to do this is, is through the word of God. We don't have to under fully understand everything the Bible tells us. We can get confused in, this, in these pages. But if you and I are, are at a point, at a spot to really bring our lives back to life, it's through the word of God. We see Job, one of the most righteous men throughout all of the Bible. Everything's taken from him. And in Job 33, 4, it says, the spirit of God made me. This is what Job said. And the breath of the almighty God gives me life. In the midst of Job's calamity, in the midst of Job's destruction, he's able to look back at his own life and go, man, the only way that I have life is through the breath of Jesus. Do you remember when your first child was born? He or she came out of the womb and, and what happened? Did the doctor look at you, dad, and go, okay, now, now bring, breathe life into her? Did they take your son and, and give it to your wife and say, all right, now make, make him alive? Is, is that part of the doctor's responsibility? Like, we'll be right back. We have a thing we do. No, your baby just begins to breathe. The, the question I have is, 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 how does that baby begin to breathe? The same way that, that God breathed life into Adam is the same way he breathes life into you, to your kids. The only way that you and I have a shot to live is through the breath of God. Colossians 1 tells us that, that Jesus, he makes everything that he created everything for him, everything by him. Everything was on purpose. And Jesus is the one that actually created you and breathed life into you. If you're taking notes on your phone or maybe even on the card, maybe you should write down this statement. It says, let the breath of God bring you back to life because the blood of Jesus brought you back from death. Let the breath of God bring you back to life because the blood of Jesus brought you back from death. It's Palm Sunday today. A little over 2,000 years ago, Jesus is making his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Palm branches are, 
are being laid down in the streets for him. And, and everyone thinks Jesus is coming in and going to defeat the whole, the whole deal. And he was going to create this great army. And, and Jesus begins to ride in knowing these last few days of Holy Week, what they were going to consist of. We know the story of Jesus spending time with his disciples in the upper room. He goes to the Garden of Gethsemane. One of his disciples turns Jesus in. And then next thing you know, Jesus is in front of the rulers. They convict him of a crime that he never committed. And they throw him up on a cross to die an unfair death. And Stephen referred to this verse, some of the last words of Jesus last week, that that when Jesus was up on the cross, he shouts out, he screams out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There's so many different angles you can take on these words of Jesus, but what Stephen said last week is is Jesus was telling everybody, man, look back at Psalm 22, a prayer that that Jesus had, had probably memorized. And the other church had probably, probably memorized. But it's not just a prayer that he memorized. In his last breaths, in his last moments of life, Jesus is on the cross. And he's going, man, everybody, read Psalm 22. And if you go back and you, and you flip through and, and you find Psalm 22, and it, and it, it, it shows you, it walks you through what's going to happen to Jesus at his death. And as you read Psalm 22, and as you hear the story and you read the story of Jesus' death, it brings it together and it gives us hope that, that Jesus didn't just die by accident. Jesus didn't just get caught and murdered on a cross, but what Jesus did was actually on purpose. And in his last breath, he's going, man, read Psalm 22. It's all there. I think there's, there's so many times in our lives that we get stuck, that we get frustrated. There's times that we even question life, question relationship, question meaning. And you have two choices to make. You either can keep living the way you're living prioritizing the things that you prioritize. But the only thing that can bring you life is the word of God. Have you ever just maybe received a text message from someone and it was just a Bible verse? Have you randomly just opened up the Bible and begin to read something and something stirs and something begins to happen in you? I think a lot of times we we so focus on understanding what the Bible is saying that we forget that it's the breath of God resuscitating us back to life. So just for a second, I want to do something just a little weird. I want us to close our eyes for a second. I'm going to read a verse to us. Let's see what happens. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18, it says this, Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, dry bones, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, 
but what is unseen is eternal. Look right at me. Do you feel more alive? Do you have any, any more hope? As you and I, we, we began to read the word of God, I honestly believe and know from my own life that as we read the word of God, that we experience more life. And the reality is that a lot of us in this room, we're, we may even walk away from here and go, hey, Ryan, nice little pep talk, but I know I'm going to fail. I've tried this before. Every message I hear about reading the Bible makes me want to read it more, but I, I just find myself back here in the same spot over and over and over again. And my, my plea to you this morning is give it another shot. Riley, she's five, almost six. And a couple years ago, we began to start the process of teaching her how to swim. Now, we were scared to death. Riley was scared to death. And day after day, we'd come back from the pool and we'd sit Riley down and go, why? What's holding you back? And she goes, I don't want to go under the water. I said, why, baby? Like, why? Like, what, 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 would, what would happen? And she's like, I, I would drown. Like, I, if I go under the water, I'm like, baby, all you have to do is hold your breath. And she didn't want to do it. We we're sitting at the pool one day and she was on the steps and I'm in the water. We took the floaties off. I said, Riley, come on, baby, just, just jump off the steps and come swim to me. And she began to walk off the steps and then she hit a step that was a little bit deeper than she thought and, and her head went underwater. And I had, I had a moment there of going, do I rescue her? Do I pick her up out of the water or do I just see what happens? And she was under the water for a few seconds and she didn't swim at all, but she kind of moved back to the stairs and her head popped up and her eyes were, were, were really huge and I knew she was scared. I had two, two options. Either scold her and go, why didn't you swim? Or praise her that she put her head underneath the water and she was able to, 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 to hold her breath. And so I looked at Riley and I go, Riley, you did it. You did it. Your head went under water. You did it. Are, are you kidding me? And she didn't even look at me and looked straight for mom. And she goes, mom, I did it. And I'm like, but I, but I helped you do it. <laughs> she goes, mom, I, mom, I, mom, I did it. And, and I, I go, hey, hey, mom, like watch her swim. And I back away and I go, Riley, you ready? And she does this. <laughs> Yeah. I don't know why you're clapping. That wasn't really a good swim, right? I mean, <laughs> but she did it. And she began to swim and she began to doggy paddle and, and a sense of accomplishment. The idea knowing that, that no matter what, that she could be able to conquer that fear and be able to begin to jump in. Do you need to jump back in the Bible today? Maybe you started swimming in turbulent waters. Maybe you thought you were good and then life hits you upside the head and that was the first thing you kind of moved away from. But, but do you need to jump back in to the Bible? And then there's Bradley, 
her brother, who's a couple of years younger than her, as soon as Riley learned how to swim, of course, Bradley wants to know how to swim. Girls and boys are a little bit different. Bradley wanted to do it without the floaties. I'm like, no, 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 no. So a couple months later, after Riley was learning how to swim, Bradley and Riley find, find themselves on the edge of the pool at the deep end. Riley's holding her brother's hand. Riley, no floaties. Bradley, floaties. This is what happens. <laughs> and watch this joy on Bradley's face. Church, who do you need to jump into the Bible with this week? Some of us, some of you, we're actually reading the Bible and it's actually impacting our lives. And we're confident. We're feeling the breath of God in our lungs, but there's people all around us that don't feel it, that don't have it. My encouragement to you this morning is, is whose hand are you going to grab and go to the edge and go, hey, are you going to read with me? And jump. Because as you grab the hands of those people around you, I believe that the breath of God is going to enter into their lungs and they're going to have life that they've never, ever imagined. A few months later, <laughs> Bradley does something pretty incredible. Check this out. Incredible. Don't call CPS. Look, I don't even know if that's, if that's, if I should have done that. But he wanted to jump off. I didn't push him off. I was in the water. Okay. And um, do you realize what he said when he came out of the water? No, he said, I love my mommy. And I'm like, but I'm right here. Like I, I'm right here. <laughs> some of us, we need to feel some life. What would you pay for the breath of God to re-enter back into your lungs? What would you pay for the dead areas in your life to come alive? What would you do for those dead relationships to be stirred in such a way that they, that they come back to life? My, my encouragement is let the word of God bring you back to life. Two things have really helped me in, in, in reading the Bible and committing to it. One is the YouVersion Bible app. It helps me, remind me, I can do plans, I can do plans with people. So I'd encourage you, if you don't have the YouVersion Bible app downloaded on your phone, that, that you should do it. And there's also this, this journaling piece that has really helped bring me into the, to the word of God because for so often I was devoted to devotion. As Christians were taught, like every day you better get up and read your Bible and do 30 minutes or an hour or a chapter a day, keeps the devil away, whatever, I don't, I don't know. But we're so devoted to a devotion or we're so devoted to a time or we're so devoted to a book that helps us walk through 
And so for many years, I would just read and go, devotion done. But journaling helps me stop and pause and begin to write and pray and ask God to reveal these things in my life that I, that I don't see. So starting today, we've created a Bible reading plan called Jesus I Am. Walking through the, the seven I Am statements of Jesus as we enter into Holy Week. And it starts today. I encourage you guys, you can, you can friend me on version, and I can add you to the plan. Or you can just add the plan yourself and invite your friends, your coworkers, your neighbors, your family. Go ahead, I'm doing this. Are you willing to do it with me? I have a journaling Bible that, that I use. A couple years ago, I began to journal in the Bible and for the hopes of one day giving the Bible I journal in to Riley when she gets old enough. Because again, some of us in this room, we need us to jump into it. But some of us, we need to grab a hand and jump in with him and for him. Did you see Bradley almost hit his head on the edge of the pool? Like Riley was pulling him. So maybe for you, this is an opportunity for you to engage in the Bible, not only for yourself, but for someone else. And so I'm going to ask some weird questions. Does anybody want this Bible, but they're going to commit for these next few years to journal in it for their daughter? Come and grab it. This is weird. Anybody want it? Come on. Yeah. Anybody have a son in high school? But these next few years, come and get it. Yeah, yeah, come and get it. These next few years, you're going to be able to journal. You can come too. Come on, you can come too. I got two Bibles. I got a lot of Bibles. Who wants a Bible? Who wants a Bible? Oprah, here we go. All right. <laughs> and you're going to journal in this Bible for these next years until they, until they graduate high school. And when they graduate, you're going to give them the gift. Got any husbands in here that's willing to journal in this Bible for their wives? Maybe this anniversary or next anniversary, maybe you give them the gift that it'll change their life. Anybody want it? Yeah, come on. Anybody have a dad that you just want to begin to write and pray over and go, hey, dad, I want to give you this one day. Anybody? Yeah. You may have a mom or grandma that you're just going to commit to write, to pray. And one day you're going to go, hey, here. Yeah. Hmm. Thank you. Church. <laughs> Every page is breathed out by God. If you want life, begin with baby steps or doggy paddles. And we can watch and we will see how Jesus brings you back from life. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much 
Thank you so much for choosing to breathe life into me. And I pray, Jesus, when I open this Bible later this evening, when I open it tomorrow, that it won't just be a chore. But as I'm devoted to your words, Jesus, bring life, breathe life into me. In Jesus' name, amen.